Hey there, guys. I'm Bobby. This is Steffi Steph. We are Between Two Teeth. Steffi Steph, what are we talking about today? Yeah, thanks, Bobby. What we're talking about today is how to handle complications and bad outcomes just from a mental health and well-being perspective. And specifically, this request came in from one of our viewers, one of our subscribers, who was curious and just kind of made some comments about just personal struggle when things, you know, maybe not, they just don't go our way. How do you, how do you deal with that? We love hearing from our followers and it was a, it was kind of a pretty impactful kind of ask out to us. Cause I think part of what we do is we, we try to connect to others and this is a perfect way, but people reach out and say, Hey, here's what's on my mind. Could you please do a show about it? We'll dig into, dig into the, the question. Yeah. And I would just start by, we all have our hands dirty here. Everyone has bad outcomes. I always, oh yeah. Well, specifically, what are we talking about? This was a a doctor that was talking about just kind of having negative outcomes, having bad outcomes with a patient, whether that's a mistake, whether that's just where things just didn't go as planned. Right. So kind of what I'm talking about is whenever the first thing I always start with is everybody has bad outcomes and we've all had our hands dirty here. One of the things that I I look at in cases like these is, you know, everybody wants a great outcome. Uh, it doesn't benefit uh, anyone, whether you're the provider or you're the person in the chair, to have a bad outcome. Right. No, one, no one wishes for that. We didn't become clinicians to to have yeah. bad and, things happen. We want to help people. And, and I'm so happy that uh, our, our, our subscriber kind of talked about this because, you know, they bring up an excellent point. Yeah. And we talk about sustainability. And especially as providers, we have to kind of come up for air sometimes. We take that burden personally on ourselves, whether it's something that maybe we could have done better during the procedure or if it was just kind of the patient maybe had some some other issues going on that just complicated the healing process or maybe just, you know, stuff happens. Sometimes you just can't predict it. So what happens when patient care goes wrong? And what I would say on that, if, if you're a doctor and, and, you know, we're dentists, you're a periodontist, I'm an oral maxillofacial surgeon. And if you have not had bad outcomes of some sort, you have not been practicing long enough. If you haven't had a dental implant fail, for instance, you haven't placed enough dental implants. Right. And so part of this is also separating, it's kind of what Brene Brown talks about, guilt and shame. Guilt says that, uh, or shame says I am wrong or I am a bad person. Guilt says I, I did something wrong. And so a lot of times we have providers that really uh, internalize a failed implant. We'll, we'll use that as an example. Yeah. And there are, there's a range of examples, but they, they might look at it and go, how in the world I have ruined this patient's life. It's terrible. And what makes it worse is the patient is also unhappy. <laughs> and so it, it just tends to add a little extra on top of a, you know, someone who's really feeling bad about this whole thing. I like what you talked about there, shame, Be- because that is a difficult emotion to kind of uh, work through, if you will. And, and part of it, I think, in, in 
I don't know exactly why the person reached out about this question. Well, I guess we do know it, mm-hmm. it was something on on their mind, and uh, I think everybody goes, or maybe not. I assume everybody goes through this. In a sense, a community is to say, "Hey, we're with you. We're, you know, we're we're in the trenches. We have all had situations that happen." I remember very early in practice, I had a patient that was not a teenager removing wisdom teeth. You know, they were like late 30s where you can have challenges. Anyways, things weren't going well. Kept seeing the patient back week after week. I thought they were just clenching. Anyways, long story short, she ended up having a post-operative infection. It wasn't in the mandible, it was in the maxilla. Kind of a crazy, weird, strange situation. Had to take her to the hospital. She had to get admitted to the hospital. Had to take her to the operating room to incise and drain this this thing. The... Uh, the patient was under a lot of stress preoperatively. This didn't help with the stress. I figured she was clenching. That's why she couldn't open her mouth real big. Anyway, she was, in a, she was a malpractice attorney. And we had a successful outcome where she recovered after being in the hospital. Um, there was no malpractice, no state board issues associated with it. Part of it was communication. Part of it was me saying, oh my gosh, you know, this is unusual what's happened here. And my objective is to get you cared for. Yeah, that's a great example. And where my mind kind of goes with as, as I just kind of play off that is it's the, sometimes the psychology of people that go to dental school or med school, they tend to be not perfect, but in high school, they make great grades. In college, they do well, maybe. And, Perfectionists. and Right. Yeah. And so when they get out or they get into residency or they start practicing, it could be the first time that something just didn't go their way. It was out of their control. And that is, that's a struggle. That's a milestone in, uh, in our development is trying to figure out where, you know, where do we attach there? Do we really take these things to heart? Cause it can, it can definitely here. I'm just reading some of the quotes that have come in on this. Uh, some of the quotes are, I personally struggle with this. Another Sometimes a negative outcome makes me feel physically ill. Mm-hmm. Another one came through was a bad outcome. If I have one, my mind will not leave it alone for weeks. Can I pause you there for a second? The physically ill resonates with me mm-hmm. because I have had I've had patients that things are not going as well as I would like it to go and you get worried about them. You're like, and so for me, it means I'm frequently bringing them in the office. Maybe it's the next day. Maybe it's in two days. Things are not going as planned. And over a weekend, I really will feel ill. Yeah. Because uh, of that. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's there. one of the, uh, you can feel ill if you are stressed out. Yeah. What was the second quote that you said there? The mind won't leave it alone. Oh, yeah. And then this is another one that came through. I'm terrible at that. My mind won't shift off that. Yeah. And another quote is, uh, a bad outcome makes me feel fearful of doing subsequent procedures. I get that. You know, you touch the hot stove. You're like, oh, that stove was hot. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had a patient that uh, there was a little bit more bleeding than I was expecting on this case. And I'm... I'm being I'm being a little bit more general on this case, 
But yeah, the next time I I <laughs> I did the same procedure, I was a little bit more gun shy. And part of it's just when you're doing something and you you tend to have that, you know, just unideal outcome, something yeah. that you just really weren't weren't expecting. Bleeding's a big issue. Yeah. And for and both we're not of, talking about a little yeah, bleeding. <laughs> for, for both of us as surgeons, uh, you know, you think you're used to seeing a certain amount of bleeding and then you see something substantially more and it gets your heart rate up and all sorts of things. I know I've actually had, I've had my staff come and get you in. Um, you helped me with a case where, uh, there was a pretty good amount of bleeding. It was nice to have a second surgeon there at, uh, just helping with things. And, uh, part of it too is, you know, when things aren't going great, it's nice to have uh, another set of hand, another set of eyes, another mind there as well. So that's one of the blessings when you have people around you that you can talk to. And, that, and I guess that's part of it. Yeah. And also, I, I think sometimes uh, you can, if you are a people pleaser mentality, you're, of course, you're like, what are they going to think? Right. What's going to, how do I even, because the patient oftentimes is not awake during yeah. these procedures. And the patient a, in question where you helped me, I think he was awake <laughs> during all of that, which made it even more interesting. Yeah. And, and a lot of, and that they can be awake for yeah. sure. And a lot of times they're not. So there's a trust factor there. And then you feel like you violated their trust yeah. and you, and you weren't doing anything wrong. There's just a bad outcome there. So Let's talk about that because, and this is, well, one, I'm dying to tell my joke that's yeah, what not joke, real funny. What well, joke do you have my joke that I love to tell, and it's not funny, is um, all bleeding stops eventually. More of a statement than a joke. I never tell that joke whilst bleeding is actively happening. But anyways, that's, if we only had a laugh thing on the on <laughs> Yeah, the I think thing. we can fit that but, one but in. But let me ask you this question. Well, let me back it up a touch. I'm going to make a statement. I think it's easier in some ways because you were talking about trust and patient trust. There's certain nuances that I'm going to face as someone who's been in practice for a while versus a newer practitioner. And I think the person in question who asked this initial question was a newer doctor. And what are the nuances there? From a newer doctor's standpoint, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that by reading another quote here. And it goes, in my most dramatic state, questions, or I question myself, should I even be uh, in this field? Should I even be a provider, a surgeon? That's a tough. I get that. That's tough. Totally get it. And it doesn't mean you weren't meant to be a surgeon, first of all. I was working at a Texas Mission of Mercy, and there was a uh, dental student there who really struggled with extractions, not from not being capable. She could. Um, she I thought had you were the, talking about me for a second, oh, that I was struggling yeah. with extractions. <laughs> you have helped me out at a Texas Mission of Mercy. Oh, yeah. I've said, no mas. Yeah. And uh, so this dental student, I... It didn't, I told her, I said, man, it doesn't, just because you don't, she had a, she had an issue with how it made her feel taking a tooth out of somebody's mouth and she felt bad for the patient. She just felt bad about the whole thing. And she questioned, she goes, I don't even know if I should even be a dentist. And I go, look, I said, you are great at what you're doing. And I said, 
just because you have a kind of a you're you're questioning a little bit what you know how you feel about this doesn't mean you're not cut out for it and and don't don't kind of lose faith so so quickly there so that leads me into saying we need each other we need the support and oftentimes you get you know dentistry is an isolated profession yeah and just because you struggle i mean you, you didn't like the sight of what is it blood at first right <laughs> yeah i literally almost yeah. passed out before well, but, but, I, but but on your point i want to mention that point that you just spoke of the dental student you helped her out at a charity event here we do in texas texas mission of mercy what i loved about that is you showed me the comment that she sent you. Yeah. And I think we're going to try to post that on some of our Instagram things, Instagram, B2Teeth. I was going to say .com, but it's just B2Teeth. That made my day because she told you how what you did had a significant impact on her and changed her. And it it made me feel good, you getting that message, just because that, it says a lot about her that she'd communicate that she'd take in the mentor relationship. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, no, I, all of those things. And it's, it's just, it's kind of tough. Like you, if when I was applying to residency, for example, I don't come from a family of healthcare providers. And one of the things my mom asked me, she goes, are you even good at what you're going into, like, why would you apply for residency <laughs> if you're not excellent at it? My mom said, don't be a dentist. They won't need dentists anymore. And, and I and I told her, I was like, well, mom, that's kind of the point. It's more of what you're interested in. It's not about being great at it when you start. And that's kind of a theme. And so when I look at how I've gotten good at anything in life, I had to go through a lot of failures first. And the trick is, is the human nature, we're working on other humans. And so, of course, there is going to be an emotional component to that. We're not working on machines. We're not, you know, if we, if we do, if we make mistakes, the stakes are higher. Yeah. You know, we don't want to compare what we do to a barista at Starbucks, but how often do they mess up your Starbucks order? And we expect perfection out of ourselves. Our patients certainly expect perfection out of us. Right. And we want to go for perfect. And there's many things that can come in the way of a perfect outcome. And kind of getting to like, well, what do we, how do you kind of sort through it? I see, I see females, especially female surgeons all the time, get into no man's land of isolation. Mm. And they feel just as bad as some of the male surgeons do, but they don't have the group dynamic to discuss it and get through it. I'm glad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I, and I saw that in a real way we had, uh, I was part of a Harvard surgical leadership course and we were doing the London section of our cohort. And in London, a lot of small groups uh, were formed and some of those small groups had people, we discussed these things and you had people break down and have really big emotional reactions to something they have not, they had not gotten off their chest in years. They felt terrible like about Like what things. kind of things are you talking about? Just um, really bad patient outcomes? Yeah, or? just really bad patient outcomes. You wouldn't yeah. think about it. So you have, you know, whether it's a colorectal surgeon or you have a cardiac surgeon or, you know, even, you know, someone, you know, OB-GYN. And then, I, you know, I'm here on the dental side of things saying, oh, 
you know, that's, that's tough. And at the same, and none of these, by the way, were deaths. That's a whole different ballpark. These were, oh, I stitched together the wrong thing on my first day. Yeah. The need for reoperation is like, that's kind of a, during my residency, you know, general surgery, yeah, you go back to the OR and take a little look-see and yeah. <laughs> things aren't going well and let's open things back up. And there's no malice here. Yeah. That's the thing. And there's no, it's not that they weren't paying attention. Their eyeballs were wide open. They were trying. <laughs> and at the same time, especially on the medical residency side of the equation, they have these big discussions, M&M morbidity and mortality conferences right. where residents have to stand up and say what was done and what went wrong. And those can be pretty brutal. But in private practice, you're just so isolated. And what I noticed is that there, and there were a lot of, there was a lot of uh, men and women at this program. But what I really noticed is that the women just didn't have the group dynamic that they had in this program back at their hospitals, and especially not during residency. So if they made something like that or something happened, which it happens to everybody, Imagine going through something emotionally challenging where you yeah. you didn't do anything you did something wrong because you had a negative outcome, but it wasn't it, it's to, it's a nuance. It wasn't your fault. Like you can you're you're a new surgeon, of course, that's going to happen. But you got to go through it on your own. I, I think the biggest thing what goes through my mind as you talk about that, you know, we know that smoking's bad for you. We know that alcohol can certainly be bad for you and drugs can be bad for you. There's good data out there now about not being connected to others can be as dangerous, especially from a longevity standpoint. With this kind of thing, if you are isolated as a practitioner and you've got no one to talk to, and I think it's helpful to have someone who is in your immediate peer group, Someone is your same age-ish, kind of doing the same yes. thing that you're doing. And it's also helpful to have someone who's a couple of years ahead of the game that has had, can see the forest for the trees on some of this stuff. Right. And I and that's part of the Hippocratic Oath. And you when you part of the trust, part of the patient-doctor relationship is you are trusting. You're not saying that your doctor is not human. Yeah. That is not part of the oath. What you're saying is that you're trusting that your doctor is going to show up yep. ready to go. Do no harm. And, and the other thing is, you know, we're in, we're on the dental side of things. What we do, our operations happen in the mouth. Just because the patient goes home doesn't mean they stop using their mouth. And I've seen- <laughs> You've asked me to stop using my mouth fairly frequently, but I've I digress. S- I've seen patients that'll leave after a large bone graft on in their mouth and then on the way like I see them lighting up a cigarette as they're yeah. getting in their rides car. Lighting up a cigarette or say, don't pull and, your lip. Right. Yeah. Don't pull your lip. Pull and your they're, lip. they're already looking at they're it. Like I've been looking it. at this for the past 48 hours. And every time I pull my lip out. Right. And, and, and it's not, I get the curiosity, yeah. but then when they don't have the ideal outcome, I, 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 I mean, you can only do what you can do. So we've talked a little bit about some solutions. Um, were there more quotes that you wanted to to talk about from from this individual? The one thing I wanted to I wanted to really hit on was this individual was saying in their in their lowest state, they question if they should even be doing what they're doing, and I think that is the magic here and mm. the opportunity is of course you should you are well trained you are great at what you do 
And even if you had a bad outcome, that is okay. What we do as providers is invasive and it's it ultimately helps people. That's the idea. Uh, but we are we are human, and we also can't control everything. Yeah, that that's that's a great point on the end there. Um, to put my regulatory hat on somewhat, I'm a board member with the state board here in my state, and I'm saying all of these things as my personal opinion, not representative of the state board. Um, but we see negative outcomes all the time. There's you know no one writes us a letter and says, "Hey, things went great." And it is one of the most humbling things in the world to have to sit on the other side of the table and, you know, you go through the plethora of facts about a case, you often hear from the patient and then the doctors on the other side of the table. And from my perspective, I can fully appreciate, hey, chairs can be switched here and I can be on that other side. But then my obligation is to protect the public. My obligation is to figure out how do we ensure that this the the doctor has learned from this experience. And it's it's a tough deal cuz things are not perfect. Yeah, and and a lot of times I also as we start talking about strategies to kind of we've kind of outlined well what is what are we talking about and you know as we kind of segue into some of the regulatory environment and strategies to to deal and, and cope with some of this stuff in a positive way, in a sustainable way, you can start with prevention. And you can start by not necessarily uh, promising anything. I know young docs mm. tr- eager to get patients to sign on the dotted line say, oh my God, yeah, it'll be great. It'll be fine. They've done it, they've done it maybe five times and they yeah. haven't done it enough to see a failure yet. And they get into hot water because you have a patient who is asking something ridiculous. I love that you said that. And and we've talked about it before on some of our YouTube videos that we've done. It's an expectation management issue. And I think it's so tough, as you said, as a new practitioner, you want to help people as as best you can. And you want them to know that you're competent. You really don't want to say, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think I'm the doctor for you. I can't meet your expectations. Right. And that's, expectations. and it's super tough because if you're trying to grow a practice and you yeah. turn half the patients away because, yeah, there's, there's, at, when you start in practice, there's absolutely somebody better out there. I just send the tough patients to you. I'm and, like, man. And, and it, it's, stuff, t- stuff it's tough. You know, you gotta, you have to err a little bit on the side of building yourself up. And, and it's, that's why, I don't know. When I got out of residency, my director had talked to me about our entire program. He goes, start with the basics. Do yeah. not do the big cases right off the bat. Get your feet wet. And you know, after five years, <laughs> when you see what goes wrong with the basics, then start to segue. It takes a while to really kind of get your feet, your legs under you. It yeah. really does. And that's where having people that you're connected to. Yeah. I actually, I enjoy talking about when patients are like, they're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is going to work, right? 100%. And I, I actually enjoy saying there is nothing yeah. in this world that's guaranteed. I love saying there is no such thing as a simple procedure. Yeah, that's a good one too. And, you know, in residency, saw a horrendous case of the person survived, but 
a simple procedure of a lipoma removal from someone's back just almost took the person's life. Um, and it was, uh, bad, bad things happen. And the practitioner involved was not a resident and it was a senior staff doctor that really spiraled into a negative mental health space because of that negative outcome. And it was really, really tough because you get isolated so easily. And that gets to some of the solutions that we, we have talked about talking to a colleague. You've got to find somebody that you can talk to. Maybe it's going to your local dental society and reaching out and asking for input there. Or, you know, we think of everyone as competition. If I have a patient that's going awry and I'll usually get you in the room for a variety of different reasons, just to make sure, okay, you take a look at this with your own eyes without me biasing you. And then we have a discussion, but I'm also okay sending it off to another practice. And I'll call the other surgeon and say, this isn't going the way I expect it. I want you to take a look at this. Part of it is patients lose trust in you. But yeah. part of it is, you know, don't keep digging the hole deeper. Yeah, knowing knowing when to quit uh, is a good idea. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just really gets back to try not to promise. Don't overpromise. Expectation management. It's getting back to the state board side of the equation. A lot of state board complaints and also, because of that. Yeah, and also just trying to realize you're not alone in, in kind of what you're going through. I know that we get overworked as providers yeah. and just kind of knowing, knowing your limits there. It's, it's so tough to keep those emotions in check. So as I kind of just unpack some of the stuff we've talked about, I really like to lean in to find a group of colleagues. It's nice to kind of have it diversified too, by having yeah. someone who has been there for a while and has seen some stuff, but it is also great to have someone your age who's in your same neck of the woods, who's yeah. in your same kind of niche group of procedures that you that you provide because they're going to know, you know, even if, I, if I'm talking to the complications that might happen with, uh, you know, a colorectal doc are a little different from my what may happen with mine. It doesn't make mine invalid. It's just they're different. Yeah. And so trying to find someone for me that would, you know, do the same procedures is helpful. And, and Steffi, part of our why of doing this channel is because we have a local study club with doctors that is a pretty diverse group mm -hmm. as far as ages and male and female and specialists and general dentists. And we have a blue couch that is kind of the meeting before the meeting. We've got this super comfy blue couch in the office and people come and hang beforehand. And that's really where the good stuff gets yeah. discussed. And that's where you talk about having challenges with your kid or having trouble with staff and all that sort of thing. Well, yeah. What Bob's talking about is we kind of just, we generalize some of these issues to, you know, every, cause everyone kind of deals with, well, not everybody, but a lot of people deal with kind of trouble with kiddos or trouble with like a spouse or trouble with just kind of being alone. And, and it's, I think it's, it's so important to, to be heard, be understood and to have people say, I know what you're talking about. And, and for me, it was always kind of helpful to see people that were 10 or 15 years down the road in practice to say, oh, yeah, man, that happened all the time. And then finally things changed and got better or I changed and kind of how I, I managed that. But, but taking, taking care to get connections 
and, and kind of having that yeah. is so critical. What else can people do? Uh, I think we hit on the main ones. The other one that I would say, and we talk a lot about just what can you do for your own mental health? Yes, you have something bad happens, you're going to have a hard time stopping thinking about it. But doing some other things, making sure you're exercising, making sure you're eating well, making sure if you have practices that kind of decrease your stress, like meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's contemplative prayer, whatever works for you. And this is where it's super helpful to have a bunch of tools in your toolbox before a bad thing happens. Sure. And and yeah, just from a just from a female's perspective, uh, learning how to form those bridging networks and also those um, kind of feeling networks as well. And, and there's a difference. And so with bridging, it has to do with uh, networking or kind of making connections with other men or women in your field that can lead to other jobs, maybe more patient referrals. And then there are kind of the feeling networks where it's a safe space and they can pick you up when you're, you've kind of gone underwater and you need to come up for air. How, how does one foster a safe space? I think having a safe space is about having someone that you trust that is not going to, you know, go and share some of your, you know, your deepest, darkest stuff with just anybody. And, and this is a person or, or a group of people that have a, they don't necessarily have to have a lot in common with you, but it, it tends to gravitate towards that. And it's about who can you be vulnerable with? Mm. And if you can't be a lot of this, a lot of the comments that were came from this prompt were, they're vulnerable. They were yeah. definitely something where I, I felt like a, you know, a safe space was trying to be created. I love, I love what you said right there because the person who asked this question had sort of the confidence, but also just knowing that they, they wanted to get this out there and, and truly get some input. So I love they asked the question because that says an awful lot about them. Mm -hmm. I love that they asked you the question because it says an awful lot about you, kind of like that other person, uh, the dental student, making the statement to you of, oh my gosh, you really had a significant impact. Why don't we, why don't we do more things like that? Why are people not kind of like, hey, thanks for helping me, or you know, I, I need some advice on something. Is it ego? Do we get in our own way? I get in my own way. Hard a lot. to say, yeah. Well, it's not that hard to say. Just say, you know, I, I think a lot of times because we're like, okay, I'm a doctor. I'm in charge of this and this and this. I have to be perfect, which we've talked about as far as perfection. But, you know, I don't know. I kind of uh, lost my train of thought there. But. I, I feel like I, I get reach outs from people on on stuff, not necessarily exactly like this, but I, I think this is probably where, I don't know, maybe- You create a safe space. No, maybe I don't create a safe space. No, I think you do. But I think it does come from, it's potentially maybe women, this is something where women are better at this. I don't know. Where they're, they're better at knowing what emotion does to you when you internalize it. Versus trying any way you can, whether that's through journaling, meditation, physical activity, or just talking to someone. I, I think women might be a little bit better at that than men who might tend 
there's always exceptions to these yeah. things, but who men who probably tend to compartmentalize. I, I agree with that. And I think men as a man, cause I'm a man, we hold ourselves back so much that we are not open to things. Now I, I look at myself before, before I did that integrative medicine fellowship, and I know you've done it too. I wouldn't think of myself as someone who would take time to meditate. And I had, I was terrible at it at the start. I had to use the headspace app to help me out, but it has helped me function so much better than if I didn't do it. It decreases my stress. It is a tool in my toolbox. If I am having trouble getting things out of my mind, it is a helpful thing for me to have. Yeah. And, and we talk about, we, we've talked a little bit about reaching across the aisle and, and understanding, kind of realizing as a human at some point or another, you realize you are predisposed to certain types of personality traits, certain types of emotional capacities and recognizing, hey, I have a lot of emotions or, hey, I compartmentalize really well. Uh, knowing that you can reach across the aisle and with, uh, you know, tools that you develop throughout life. And when the time comes to compartmentalize something, you can do it. But when the time comes to be vulnerable and express some of those emotions, you also reap the benefits of that. And, and that kind of goes into that the duality of networking, whether it's for bonding or whether it's for bridging. And I think uh, there's some data on this uh, through some of the Harvard surgical uh, business courses that I was taking. They had data that men tended to be better at bridging networks, which tended to you know showcase their ability to compartmentalize and get down to, okay, well, what are we doing? Um, let's get pat Emotion doesn't even come into that. And women just naturally gravitate towards, well, how does this make you feel? And the tricky part in healthcare is there are pockets of healthcare that just tend to be dominated by men. There are pockets of healthcare that tend to be dominated by women. And it's just figuring out which, where do you find yourself and how do you relate and knowing that you can absolutely uh, take advantage of both types of uh, connection. Yes. And what I would say as far as to wrap, to wrap it up, if you don't have some tools in your toolbox and bad things happen, then it's pretty easy to fall into isolation, fall into despair, lean on things like alcohol and drugs. And, and we see that certainly from a state board. We call them non-sustainable coping mechanisms. Yeah. So I guess what we do is push you to connect with others and start so, that connection. Now. Yeah. So what we're going to do real quick is we're uh -oh. going to play. Is this going to be an exercise? This is going to be an exercise. Okay. It's going to be a, a little game that's going to kind of test uh, Bobby and my uh, ability to think on our feet. Oh, so we are doing improv classes. Yeah, so is that where improv. this is coming from? So here's the prompt. Okay. It's going to be sustainable coping mechanisms. Now that's a really long prompt. It's pretty simple. Okay. What's a good way to cope with stress? Okay. Okay. And so, Bobby, you want to start us off or we're just going to go back and forth till we run out of ideas? So are, are we doing the – you start because I don't know where so, we're going with this. So meditation. Breathing exercises. Journaling. Exercise. 
said exercises twice, but I'll let it go. Oh, I did? Yeah, it's okay. Then he said um, breathing exercises, which... Oh, yeah. Well, counts. breathing exercise is different than exercise. Yeah, now, no, when no, I do exercise, right. yeah, I right. am breathing pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breathing exercise and then exercise. Talking with a friend. Contemplative prayer. Putting on makeup. Getting your hair cut. Drawing. Don't say painting. Painting. <laughs> What'd you say? I said painting. I cleaning your dwelling, your place of residence. Going for a drive. Getting an extra nap in. Ooh, I like that. Um, I don't know. No, you can't pass it. Okay, I guess I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Those are all positive things. And I think our push for our listeners is to start doing some of that stuff before before things do get tough because it will happen. Yeah, it Life will throw things at you. Human nature will find a way to let some of that stuff kind of come out and eke out. And so set your expectations appropriately. Find a small group. You've yeah. got to have people that do what you do yeah. that can be there for you. And sometimes that is a challenge to find. Sometimes it's, it's a needle a in a haystack. If you're in a department at a hospital and you're the only female there that has, you know, is your is that your status, go to a find a way yeah. to connect with someone at a different hospital or outpatient clinic that does what you do. Yeah. And but- and that's going to be your the source of your strength because I'm telling you what, I know what it's like to be in a male-dominated residency program and be left out. Yeah. And it's super tough. Well, listen, guys, thank you for listening to us, to our uh, subscriber, follower. Thank you for the question. We love questions and it was a great idea. And as soon as we saw it, we're like, oh, we've got to do something on this. So if you like what we're talking about, please hit the subscribe. Thanks, y'all.